Reignite on RTE Radio 1 with AIB. It takes a certain kind of brave to run a business. We see it, we back it. And someone who has learned by doing perhaps more than most is Texas-born Margaret Heffernan. She's been CEO of five companies, author of six best-selling books and is a TED Talks viral sensation. Margaret, you published a book called Uncharted in February when the World Health Organization was about to name a new virus as COVID-19. This week, the book was shortlisted by the Financial Times as one of the best business books of 2020. There's a prescient chapter on the history of epidemics, but Margaret, why were we not better prepared for COVID-19? Well, I think there are a number of reasons. I think the first is that, you know, most Western governments have become kind of obsessed with efficiency and cost cutting, especially since the financial crisis. And the thing about efficiency is it's a fantastic kind of uh, way to approach things when you know exactly what's going to happen. But where there's uncertainty in life, um, efficiency will cut out all your margins to respond and to adapt to the changes that you didn't see coming. You know, we all thought, well, we know what's going to happen in the world. You know, we can predict everything. You know, these SARS viruses and coronaviruses, they seem to stay pretty much in the Far East. So that's not something we have to worry about. And so we cut back on lots of the healthcare, the beds, the PPE that we needed to respond to a pandemic. And the thing about pandemics or epidemics is they are always with us, but that doesn't mean they're predictable. So we actually need institutionally to be prepared for these things and be prepared for the fact that some of our preparations may end up being a waste of money but we simply can't afford to be as fragile as we have been in this case. There's an interview in your book, Uncharted, with the head of the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness Innovation, Richard Hatchett, and there's this line in it, you don't exchange business cards in a crisis. And I wonder, do you feel like we failed to learn the lessons of the 2015 Ebola outbreak and previous pandemics to be prepared for this moment? Absolutely. I mean, the coalition was formed essentially because there was a recognition in the healthcare community that governments were were not taking epidemics and the likelihood of epidemics seriously enough. And so early on, they started developing vaccines for diseases that had epidemic potential and that were most likely. And we're lucky that among the ones that they chose were coronaviruses. So we didn't go into the epidemic, you know, completely unprepared. But obviously, if we'd been doing more earlier, or indeed, if more governments had got behind and been part of the coalition, we would have gone in in a much better condition. And I think in this case, we were willfully blind to the fact that diseases travel very, very fast in the modern world, that you really have enormous difficulty controlling them. And so I think the sense that it happened to other people who don't look like us, don't sound like us, you know, just encouraged us to be blind to a risk which everybody could see was there. 
in this moment now of a global pandemic, more than ever, we probably crave some degree of certainty. And at times, technology mm. helps us with that. What time is the bus going to arrive at ordering right. our, our food to the doorstep? But you believe ultimately the era of forecasting is over and we need more experimentation and what you call just in time thinking. I mean, I think, honestly, our ability to forecast has always been grossly exaggerated. I think economists like to make out that economics is a science, but it really isn't. We crave certainty, so we want forecasters to be able to tell us what's going to happen. But the truth of the matter is that life is too complex. And I think we've just become rather complacent in thinking, oh, no, if we have enough data then we can predict everything. And certainly, you know, the magicians of Silicon Valley have been very quick to say, no, no, big data, data analytics, algorithms, it'll solve everything. You know, they can tell us some things, but with the level of accuracy that we want in real life, they just keep failing. And they will keep failing because they're always working from data about the past. And the past is never the same as the future. Does that mean for people, for businesses, five-year plans, they're now the stuff of fantasy? Yes, absolutely. The most accurate you can be is looking about 400 days out. And that's if you're an expert forecaster, you read very widely, you are constantly skeptical of what you read, and you keep adjusting the probabilities of your forecasts. The rest of us maybe forecasts are okay for about 150 days out. And that doesn't mean we're helpless or hopeless. It means that we need a degree of resilience and robustness and flexibility and imagination to be able to adjust our plans and hopes and dreams when surprises come along because they will keep coming along. So in all of that, then, we have to embrace experimentation, learning fast, failing fast. What advice would you give to people in this moment who find themselves maybe feeling like they have to start again? Maybe they want to start a business, but they're going to have to live in this era of uh, learning fast. Well, I think, you know, my my main piece of advice would be, um, you know, get lots of advice, do lots of learning, talk to lots of people. I mean, I've started five businesses. I like to think that each one was a little bit smarter than the one before, you know, and that I brought to it the knowledge of experience. I think, you know, the most successful people didn't start off doing what they ended up being successful at. But the thing is, what you can't do is sit and wait, because when you just sit and wait, you're learning nothing. And I'm very struck by so many people I know, you know, the first job was in PR and they ended up as family lawyers. Or the first job they had was working in a science lab and they ended up being a graphic designer. Or a friend of mine, the late, great Alan Rickman, who started off as a graphic designer and ended up as an actor. As we make these experiments in our lives, we learn more about ourselves and how we want to live and how we want to work. And we move towards the things that really express who we are. I imagine in those moments when you were starting your five businesses, it might have been in a room, whiteboards, people, spitballing. Today, for people who have an idea, they're probably doing it in the spare room through Zoom. And we know this remote work where it's making us in some cases more productive. For some, we're getting so-called work-life balance. But what do you think we're losing in those moments of trying to bring an idea into action to actually start something? 
I think we're losing a certain amount of serendipity and accident. I mean, I used to teach a course in entrepreneurship in the U.S., and the first thing I did is I made my students walk down the street and just tell me what they saw. What were people thinking about? What were the colors people liked? What might those colors mean about mood? What patterns did they see? And a huge amount of thinking and creativity comes to entrepreneurs just by being in the world. And so the more we're locked up in our houses, I think the harder that gets. And it means we have to make much more of a conscious effort to reach out to a really wide variety of people, you know, not just our friends and neighbors, and ask for help and just say, you know, I'm working on this. What do you think? The other thing I would say, certainly about entrepreneurship, is that entrepreneurship often really flourishes in times of economic difficulties. And the reason is, Because if you start a business and you need help from, say, a manufacturer or a designer, often, you know, really experienced, fantastic manufacturers and designers will work with you because, you know, they're not working at full tilt and they want to help new businesses. Whereas in the midst of a boom, they wouldn't even answer your emails. So there are lots of great companies. Microsoft is one. Dell is another. Method Home Care Products is a third. These were all started in periods of recession when all of those companies got opportunities because the market was just not that busy. The worst thing you can do, I think, in this situation is just wait. Because trust me, other people are out there moving and doing things. The key in all of that with with teams, and you've run five companies then, is honest, candid communications. And you've talked a lot in the past about organisational silence and the aversion to debate. Mm. Is that something you worry about now, like six months in for a lot of people and companies in these increased restrictions, that there is maybe not that candid debate and honest communication you need for a company to really thrive? I definitely do worry about it. And I sit on the boards of a couple of companies and I'm very struck by the fact that every now and then we hit a tricky issue and the decision is made to kind of, well, let's park that for a while until we can meet properly. But as time goes by, it's really not okay. These are really fundamental issues. And it's really hard to have a proper debate via Zoom or Teams or any of these different platforms. And I think two things. One is we need to try to have some of those face-to-face meetings. I mean, I did one about six weeks ago, which was, I have to say, absolutely exhilarating. (laughs) It was a five-hour meeting, and I came out feeling really energized. I mean, we were all sitting, you know, very, very distanced from each other. But I thought, my God, if this had been a five-hour Zoom meeting, I would be dead. I would be brain dead by now. But I think the other thing, and I just doesn't really make my heart sing, but I think we have to learn how to do this kind of debate and cordial conflict um, online. And it's fundamental to creativity. I mean, in many cases, you know, whether I was working on a book or building a company, you know, some of the best discussions I had was when people were trying to tell me I was wrong. And it made my thinking much better. Margaret, what final advice would you have for people listening today whose businesses have closed, for young people really worried about their prospects, for people thinking about retraining, for those thinking about starting a business? Well, I think for young people in particular, the really important thing to be doing right now is not binging on Netflix 
but finding ways to be useful. So whether that's, you know, helping somebody with the digital marketing of their website, delivering food to people who are still sheltering, I think a big career question is always going to be, what did you do in the pandemic? The most important thing employers will look like is that you found ways to be useful because people who find ways to be useful are always worth their weight in gold in any company. I think for people whose businesses have closed or, you know, whose careers have kind of come to a shuddering halt, I would really urge people to to do experiments. Find places where people need volunteers or try jobs you've never tried before. Because undoubtedly, the world of work is changing and will continue to change. And every job you do, whether it's a temp job or a volunteer job, it will tell you more about yourself and what you like and what kind of working environment you like and what you don't like. But it's all learning. And I think this is really a moment to try something different and find a way to be useful. And out of that comes a sense of self-worth and self-knowledge. Margaret Heffernan, author of Uncharted, thank you. Reignite on RTE Radio 1.